Virtually any trauma that severely compromises the emotional well-being of an individual may cause post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Despite a prevalence rate in the U.S. of 17 to 20 percent for people experiencing disasters, and 20 to 30 percent for the military, PTSD is often unrecognized, misdiagnosed, and untreated in primary care patients. You're listening to a special monthly series on ReachMD, a focus on disaster medicine. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell. With me today is physician assistant Dr. Kenneth Harbert, Dean, School of Physician Assistant Studies, South College, Knoxville, Tennessee. Dr. Harbert is a traumatic stress expert and has served as the commander for the Medical Reserve Corps, assisting with natural disasters, including Hurricane Katrina. He is joining us today to discuss the integration of post-traumatic stress disorder training into the physician assistant curriculum to arm PAs with the essential skills to assess and manage PTSD. Hi, Ken. Welcome to ReachMD. Oh, thank you, Lisa. It's nice to be here again. Dr. Harbert, why is PTSD becoming more of a concern for providers? Well, I don't think it's becoming more of a concern. I just think there's a lot of barriers, particularly in primary care, to discover if someone has what we define as PTSD, which is really exposure response to a traumatic event in their lives. Right. Well, why do PAs and other providers need to know more about PTSD in the assessment and management of the traumatic stress? Well, let me put it to you this way. I think there's a lot of barriers that are created for any kind of provider in identifying a traumatic event. And I think unless you can identify it, someone might come in with, let's say, a headache or abdominal discomforts or totally in denial about what's going on. They might be embarrassed. They might be concerned about future or current employment, particularly those individuals who are police officers, EMTs, military personnel. They also don't want to be stigmatized as being, gee, you know, I'm having intrusive thoughts or I'm very, very depressed or I keep thinking about this event or I can't get rid of it, it wakes me up at night. And so they don't want to be stigmatized as being, quote, unquote, crazy or having a mental health disorder. I think the importance for all healthcare providers is to be able to identify and to be able to correctly diagnose is the symptoms of these events following a traumatic event in one's life. And unless you ask the right questions, you'll never get to that symptomatic history. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I work in primary care. I'm sure that I see PTSD patients and miss the diagnosis, but they often don't tell us what they're feeling, which is what you just said, usually comes out in more of a physical pain, like a chronic pain patient. So if I use that as a trigger, then how do I know what questions to ask? What you've just identified is the really, really important issue. We have what we call primary care PTSD screening questions that I think are important to ask almost all our patients, or particularly we as providers get that kind of gut feeling about whether a patient is trying to keep something from us or perhaps not telling us the truth. And I think the way that I would do it and the way I've done it with patients in primary care is You know, during my past medical history or when I talk to them about what's going on with them, I'll just simply mention, have you ever had an experience that was so frightening, horrible, or upsetting that it's caused you problems in the last month? Have you ever had nightmares about it that you did not want to relive? Have you ever tried hard not to think about something that went out of your way to avoid a situation that reminded you of this event? Have you been constantly on guard, watchful, or easily startled? And have you felt detached from others? Have people told you you seem detached, different? Has this affected your activities or your surroundings? 
And those are real simple questions to ask, but are very important to ask to really get at the issue of if someone has been through a traumatic event. Because someone's not going to walk in and say, gee, I was assaulted three weeks ago. Well, how can we tell the difference between a post-traumatic stress disorder event and just a really bad, stressful life event? That, again, is a very important issue. And I think that unlike everything else in medicine, you've got to be leery of someone who walks in and says, hi, I have PTSD. And some people will do that. When you look at someone, the key that we have in the diagnostic statistical manual is, have they been exposed to a traumatic event that involves intense fear, helplessness, hopelessness, or horror? And is the traumatic event persistently re-experienced? In other words, do they have intrusive thoughts? Do they keep thinking about it? Do they keep seeing it? Are they having nightmares or distressing dreams? Are they trying to avoid the remembrance of that event? Do they not want to talk about it? You know, are they avoiding any kind of stimuli that might bring them back to that event, like watching TV or, you know, wanting to avoid someone who's been in a car injury or injured or seeing someone that was involved in the event they were involved in? Are they having trouble sleeping? Are they having trouble with outbursts of anger or rage? Are they having difficulty concentrating? Are they hypervigilant? Are they startling very easily? And are these symptoms lasting more than one month? But last but not least, do they notice a significant impairment in their daily lives of helplessness and hopelessness? And, you know, those are the main ways of separating out what we call normal stress or even acute stress disorder from PTSD. PTSD has to last more than a month by the criteria established. And basically, these symptoms have to be ongoing. So what you just listed are symptoms that they're having. Are those also the more common stress reactions that someone would have in a disaster, or are those more long-term effects? Those are more long-term effects. You know, the normal kind of stress that people go through, let's say if they've been involved in a disaster or if they've been involved in, let's say, a motor vehicle accident. You know, with a motor vehicle accident, if you think about it, it affects us in many different ways. It affects us cognitively, how we think about it, how we feel about it what a response to it is. So when you get back in that car, it's not unusual to keep thinking, okay, am I going to have another accident? But we don't avoid getting back in that car. We don't avoid understanding that driving is an important part of our lives. But people with PTSD, what you'll see them do if they've been in, let's say, in a serious motor vehicle accident, you'll see them start getting very depressed about having to get into a car. You'll see them remembering the event, maybe being very cautious and slowing down when they come to an intersection or some place similar to where they had the problem. It's also important to realize that if those kinds of symptoms don't go away after a period of time, I'd say a month up to three months, then obviously something is still triggering that response in that person, whether or not it's cognitively affecting them, emotionally affecting them, or affecting their behavior. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special monthly series on ReachMD, a focus on disaster medicine. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Dr. Kenneth Harbert, Dean, School of Physician Assistant Studies, South College, Knoxville, Tennessee. And Dr. Harbert is a traumatic stress expert, and he's joining us today to discuss ways to provide more and better training for PTSD. So, Ken, now the patient comes in. I think I've identified an issue. They're having symptoms that fall within these guidelines. You know, the questions that they've answered make me think down this path. Now, why is it so important that I stop and move forward to identify and treat PTSD in this patient? 
the key to understand this is that there's a high comorbidity issue with PTSD. In other words, depression, alcohol, substance abuse, and basically the overall feeling that someone feels like they're going crazy. We've got to be able to separate these things out, obviously. And with PTSD, we can work on it, but you know, the key is identifying it, number one. And number two, getting the patient involved to understand that this can be dealt with, this can be worked out. And what I identify simply as what I call the 10-minute hour for PTSD, and that is you screen the person for the event that we just talked about. In other words, have you ever experienced you know, a physical or a sexual assault or a bad accident or something that's caused you a traumatic event in your life? Then you need to normalize it as best you can and let them know that they're not crazy. Attribute the reactions to the situation, not the personal weakness of the person. Because most PTSD patients were related to themselves. They'll say, this happened because of me. This happened because I'm a bad person. That person died because of me, because of what I didn't do. Then you need to identify what the traumatic stressor was, assess the person's ability to either function or their mental status, which is really, really important because the longer it goes on, the more problems they have. And rather than saying you want to treat it or take care of them, I always suggest further evaluation, particularly if I'm a primary care provider. And that allows me to involve a mental health person, which is very, very important. If I want to follow that patient up and refer them, I want to be sure that I clearly in my community, in my back pocket, have a really good mental health person that I can refer them to. So mental health is sometimes difficult to find, difficult to access, and sometimes takes a while. So should we begin the process of treatment before we refer them or while we refer them? I think we can, and I think it's important to start treatment, and I think you can use a number of modalities for treatment. The most pressing issue usually with someone with PTSD is not being able to sleep, not being able to manage their sleep, and really understanding what's going on. I think the big issue is to provide some education about the traumatic event that they've been through and encourage them to talk about it because the more they self-ventilate, the more they talk about it, either with you or someone they trust, the more that they will start to get a grasp on what's really affecting them and the more they'll be able to follow up with you and deal with the issue. I must stress that even though we have lots of medications that we can use for PTSD, it's very, very important to have that mental health counseling process or that mental health referral that we have available for referring the patient. You know, medication alone won't work. Oftentimes, you know, therapy, as you pointed out, mental health availability is difficult to find. But I think we as primary care providers can do some short-term counseling and really do more and more education in dealing with this is a traumatic event that occurred to you. It was a bad thing that happened. You're not a bad person. You're not crazy. And provide that kind of emotional and cognitive support for the person and really get rid of some of their guilt about the event. Let's talk about education for a minute. At South College, you're working to improve the delivery of the PTSD information. You've worked it into the curriculum there. Tell us about that. You know, I think as we continuously look at the issues for the future, we're a competency-based PA program like most PA programs. One of the things that I feel is very, very important is for us to educate our students about PTSD and about the current kind of treatments that are available. So we have a behavioral medicine course. During that, we teach our students about psychological first aid. 
which basically lets them understand the first level of how to deal with any kind of traumatic stress or any kind of disaster mental health. And then we focus them on understanding what PTSD is all about, what traumatic stress is all about. We use kind of an integrated method dealing with that. For example, in our neuroanatomy section, we go over the issue of how the limbic system is affected by PTSD, how the brain is affected by PTSD and traumatic stress, and what happens with eustress or good stress and what happens with bad stress and what happens with PTSD. And then during our radiology component, we talk about the new functional MRIs and how we can really both you know, pre-treatment and post-treatment use things like CAT scans, PET scans, and more importantly, functional MRIs to really assess and evaluate how the patient's improving and what's happening with the patient. We also focus a little bit on TBI, traumatic brain injury, because we're finding more and more that's been misdiagnosed also. So we truly try to focus throughout the curriculum on little bits and pieces of how traumatic stress affects people, whether it's PTSD, whether it's, as you mentioned, what we define as stress, because, you know, getting married, getting divorced, having a death in the family could basically all be examples of not good stress, but just stress in our daily lives. And so that's how we integrate it throughout our curriculum. Ken, where can the listeners get more information on PTSD in general? And then where can they go to get the screening questions, the signs and symptoms, and more clinical information to treat the patients better? Well, I think there's some phenomenal websites available for them, and they're available from a number of different places. There's also a number of really good books out there. I think one of the better books written about the military and combat duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, though that gets a lot of news and spread these days, is by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Hogue, H-O-G-E. and He's published a really excellent book on how to deal with PTSD in the military. In addition to that, there are a number of websites, Traumatic Pages, www.trauma-pages.com. There's the International Society of Traumatic Stress Studies, which is www.istss.org. And last but not least, the National Center for PTSD.org, which is www.ncptsd.org. These are all excellent sites to get more information you'd ever want to know about PTSD treatment and medical management. Ken, thank you very much for coming on the show. You're very welcome, Lisa. It's always a joy to be with you, and thank you so much. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Ken Harbert, for coming on the show to increase our knowledge on how to assess and manage patients with post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and thank you for listening 